I'll tell you who that dang old internet man. You just go on there and point and click it and talk about www.com.com. For some reason or another, you sound a little taller on radio. Well, for my money, he's got all the facial characteristics of a criminal. Now, here's your host, that gravy-sopping, crappie-flopping, stump-jumping, Bible-thumping, gun-toting, mater-growing son of a gun, the Backwoods Baptist himself, Pastor Harold Smith. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Donnie. Thank you, Brother Troy. Donnie Poindexter, a sound man at Lee Creek Baptist Church, did all that fine play in there. And Troy, give me that brief but yet accurate introduction. And I want to welcome you on to the Backwoods Baptist Podcast today as we take up a topic that I really probably should have covered last week instead of this week. But last week, I talked about a revival of generosity. And I guess using the word revival just sets off an anti-revival in the hearts of uh, many preachers today. So I thought, well, Hey, look, I'll tell you what, I'll just come out today and go full bore and say, we ought to have a revival of revivals. We ought to get back to having a revival, a yearly revival. I, I would recommend spring and fall if you want to, or do one in the spring, do something different in the fall, do one in the fall, do something different in the spring. But we need to get back to having what I would call a revival. This was common in the backwoods. I know what you're thinking. If it's the first time listening, you're looking at a little fat guy talking on the, on the YouTube, or maybe you're listening to me on Spotify and you're like, what is a backwoods Baptist? Well, you too might be a backwoods Baptist. If your pastors ever had to trap beavers behind the church because they were threatening to flood the sanctuary with a dam in the ditch. And that is a true story. So backwoods Baptists are just rural Baptist churches, which if you don't really understand history, this is how Baptists rose to prominence by having people who went out into the backwoods, rural areas. We planted churches. We preached the gospel. We labored and did things in a very simple manner with the Bible as our basis. We've gotten away from that. This podcast is really about calling us back to a revival of common sense and Bible practice. So as I said last week, I talked about a revival of generosity. I believe as Christians, God has been generous with us in Christ Jesus, seeing that we have received redemption from him and through him. We ought to be the most generous people in the world. And so I said, I'm praying for a revival of generosity. And anytime you use the word revival today, in certain Baptist circles, it's almost taboo. I mean, it's almost like, well, bless his heart. He, he still believes in revivals. Oh, you, you, like you're some kind of uh, uh, third-rate citizen, like you're some kind of beneath-them Baptist preacher if your church holds a revival. And I, I've seen people call revivals everything but a revival just so they wouldn't say the word revival. We're having a meeting of evangelistic emphasis. Call it a revival. We're having a meeting to, re, to, to, I almost said revive. We're having a meeting to encourage our church to faithfulness. Call it a revival. That is the simplest word. But 
when you use the word revival, you, you conjure up images of revivalism. And I think especially among the reform types, they don't want to have any semblance of the word revival, or they don't want to have any meeting that would halfway resemble a revival because that would bring up all of these negative connotations in their little holier than me circle. So I'm just going to come out and say it. I'm going to talk about the elephant in the room. If you're having a meeting, hoping that your church gets faithful and, and gets recommitted to God, you're having a revival and you're just too ashamed to admit it. I know some Baptists this way. They they refuse to put Baptist on their sign because they're ashamed of it. They want to trick people into coming in and thinking they're a Bible church or some other kind of church. And then after five years and they find a confession of faith, they go, wait a minute, we've been Baptists all along. Ta-da. Why don't we get back to saying we're having a revival? Well, revival's not in the 1689 London Baptist Confession. Neither is church camp, and you're still having it. Neither is vacation Bible school. And how much money has your church poured down that money pit? Neither is a, a Bible conference, but we can have them. But when it comes to revival, oh, no, 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 we can't have that. Because if we had a revival, chances are we might have to have an evangelist. I would recommend you get an evangelist. You do realize that God has used evangelists greatly in the past. Evangelist number one, Timothy. He's got two epistles written to him. Titus, Apollos, all of these men in the New Testament were not apostles, went around working church to church to church, bouncing to and fro here and yon, planting churches and helping existing churches. We've got to get back to using these God-given men. I mean, in Ephesians, it says they are the gift to the church. They are right up there with pastors, right up there with apostles, right up there with um, uh, prophets. Now, you, you may be a, a full-blown, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, where you don't believe in none? Cessationist. You say, well, I don't believe in prophets, and I, don't, I believe apostles have passed. Did evangelists pass with it? I don't think so. I think the evangelist is still to be used today. Granted, he may not drive a Lincoln Continental. He may not have five suits and five sermons and go around preaching three-night meetings, but there is the biblical office of evangelist. The Lord has employed them many times in church history, probably the most prominent since biblical days that I can think of that you would be acquainted with would be none other than George Whitfield. Through the preaching of George Whitfield, we saw the American Revolution. If you want to get serious about it, the preaching of George Whitfield saw the birth of the Methodist denomination. It was the preaching of George Whitfield that saw real revival sweep across the land. It was the preaching of George Whitfield that blew fresh breath on dead congregations and dead denominations and brought back spiritual life across the board. And George Whitfield never pastored a church, never intended to. That wasn't his gifting to pastor a church. His gifting was to go preach evangelistic meetings. And he was often disappointed to come back and find that all of his chicks had been converted to ducks because when they got a fresh understanding of the Bible and they got a, a fresh breath of the Holy Spirit, they began to look at the world biblically and they left these Protestant churches, these denominational churches like the Presbyterians, the Congregational, the Puritan forms. They left all of those and became either Baptist or Methodist. So what happens here with Whitfield 
is that we have a great example of an evangelist doing it. And don't just think he was preaching in cow pastures and the courthouse steps in Philadelphia. Whitfield preached most of the time, once he was known in churches, just not in Church of England churches. He preached in Baptist churches. He preached in independent churches. And yes, he preached in public places because you can't cram 25,000 people in a Baptist church. But I think the reason we shy away from revivals and the reason we refuse to utilize evangelists is because there was another evangelist that we all know and despise, and his name was Charles Finney. Charles Finney was a Presbyterian. Here's what I find hilarious. So many of these Reformed Baptist guys that are scared to death to have revival, and they're leaning on their Presbyterian brothers and reading Westminster and quoting Sproul. Do you not realize Charles Finney was Presbyterian? Just because you have something tied into the Westminster Confession is not going to prevent you from going bad. It's just going to help you identify those that are already bad. Baptists have, by and large, used many many evangelists over the years, even the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, he had D.L. Moody in his pulpit, not once, not twice, multiple times. Now, I know you may not agree with the theology of D.L. Moody. You may not believe in the practice of D.L. Moody, but Charles Spurgeon had enough confidence in the book that he preached to correct any bad thing that D.L. Moody might have introduced in a few messages in the Metropolitan Tabernacle problem that I'm seeing, and it's a growing trend, especially in some circles, is there's no outside preachers in the congregation. I believe a church ought to be ran by the pastor elders, however you want to work it. But I do not believe that it's exclusive that you not have any other preachers there. I encounter more and more preachers who tell me that they haven't had anyone outside of their own elder body preach in their church. And they may have a special meeting, but they only have the elders preach on Sunday. And somehow this is more holy. No, it's not. I remember preaching in a church one time, and the pastor said, you're only the third person that has ever preached in our church that wasn't an elder here. And I was like, really? And I, I thought, how long you been here? And he'd been there like 10 years, 11 years. And I said, well, who were the other two? And he said, you're right up there with Paul Washer and Phil Johnson. And he was saying it like you're in some exclusive group that I've trusted this pulpit to. That bothered me. I'm not on the level of those men, not even close. But why would you just limit your pulpit to three people when literally hundreds of faithful Bible teachers have been in and out of your area? Your church could have benefited from them. This is not some sacred desk that only the elders of this church are to preach behind. Where did we get this idea? Friend, we need other biblical pastors to come in and put what God has gave them into our congregations. Friend, I say this because if you do not bring in some new blood into your pulpit, you'll end up a bunch of inbreds. Yes, the family tree is supposed to fork, and so it should be with the church. You shouldn't fork into some other theology. You shouldn't fork into some false doctrine, but you should have many branches of teaching, all sound, all doctrinally solid, 
all biblically sound coming together in your congregation. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. Don't reach up there and hit skip on Spotify. Listen, hear me out. In the early New Testament church, it wasn't a group of elders and no outside influence. The apostles traveled to these churches over and over and over and over. I mean, John said, when I get there, I'll deal with diatrophies myself. You say, well, John's an apostle. He had the right to do that. Okay, explain me why when Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, some of them like Paul, some of them like Apollos, some of them like Peter, and he said, I'm sending Titus there. Titus wasn't a, an apostle. Apollos wasn't an apostle. Timothy was there. Luke was there. These men were all utilized in that way. Why weren't they? Uh, all, all these churches over and over and over. At the end of the letters, we see over and over and over. All of these preachers that traveled with Paul, he says, so-and-so greet you, so-and-so greet you, and so-and-so's coming your way. And when so-and-so gets there, greet him and the Lord. And this guy's going to come, and he's going to share, and he's going to tell you things. This idea of having a multitude of teachers coming through your church from outside of your church needs to be something that we get back to. It's not only biblical, it's the norm, it, it worked, it helped, it built up congregations. Why? Because in the Bible, the evangelist had a specific role, and we've gotten away from that role, therefore our churches are suffering in this area. We're ending up with a bunch of cookie-cutter Christians that all look exactly alike, right down to the way they comb their hair, trim their beard. We're literally four generations from the Amish. You go ahead and laugh. You get it out of your system. I can spot these people on Sunday at the buffet. After church is over, I can spot them. There's a group that's Pentecostal. I can tell by the haircut. I can tell by the dress code. I can tell by the way the guy's got his suit on. I said, them's Pentecostal. If you think that Baptist who isolate themselves from all other groups who have no outside influence other than who the pastor reads and who he studies is not going to end up in the same uh, cookie cutter mold. You're kidding yourself and I pity your ignorance. So now's a good time for me to say something. I need to repent. I really have some things here that I've done wrong. Number one, I quit having revivals. I exchanged revivals for Bible conferences because it sounded better and appeased my cool friends. It appeased the ones who were educated outside of the, the church. So what I need to do for you today is I need to tell you I was wrong to quit holding revivals. I was wrong to quit having evangelistic meetings. When I quit holding evangelistic meetings and I, I quit holding revivals and I, I quit utilizing evangelists, you don't have to utilize an evangelist. It's your church. Pick the preacher. Get another pastor. But get somebody your congregation has not heard. Get somebody that's gifted in an area that you and your elders are not. Get someone who has a different approach. Get somebody that can help them understand things that you guys are not skilled in teaching. So what, what, what is a revival? A revival, in my mind, has two things. Number one, it's designed, and primarily it's designed to revive the church, to get the church back up and going as it should. Friend, we grow cold. We grow stale. 
Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. He was refilled in chapter 3. He was refilled in chapter 4. The church, if Peter goes dry, the church also goes dry. We need to be refilled. We need to be re-energized. We need to be revived. But when a congregation sets its mind to seek the Lord and be revived to the work that God has called them to do, evangelism is the natural outflow. For the last 10 years at Lee Creek Baptist Church, I've hosted a conference called Preachers of Grace Conference. And in that conference, uh, we focus primarily on preachers, bringing preachers in to uh, love on them, to encourage fellowship with one another, to build networking, and just to give these guys a break from what's going on in the world. And so at this conference, our church ministered to preachers. And then for a few years, we held the Steel Waters Conference, where we focused on reaching small churches, churches that were struggling, helping young pastors find churches of service, uh, helping churches find interim pastors, and doing a lot of the work I'm doing now. We did that in a conference setting. So we were ministering to other churches, and we was ministering to other pastors, but here's the thing I left out and neglected during most of my ministry at Lee Creek. I neglected the revival where we focused on us and being recommitted in evangelism. And friend, I want to tell you, our evangelism suffered because of my failure to prepare us to do so. And what I should have done is brought in men who are more gifted at evangelism than I and had them share their gifting with our church so that it revived our church into a spirit of evangelism. What I'm seeing are a lot of doctrinally sound Orthodox churches who love the word of God. I'm seeing a revival of doctrine, real biblical doctrine. I'm seeing a revival of ecclesiology, a proper understanding of the church. I'm seeing a revival of soteriology, a proper understanding of salvation. But what I'm not seeing is a revival of evangelism. I'm seeing churches that need to be revived. So let's quit beating around the bush. Let's quit being ashamed of the word revival. Let's call it what it is. Revive us again, O oh Lord. We want to be reignited. We want to get back to work. I failed to do that as a pastor. I was thrilled to death when my pastor, the man that replaced me, Joseph Allen, shared with me that he would like to hold an evangelistic event for the church this year, mainly to encourage the church and, and equip them to, to get back in service. I said, that's exactly what we need. And that's what I failed to do. So my plea to you today is not from the guy that's done it right all these years and, Hey, do it like me. My plea to you is I did this wrong and I don't want you to do it wrong. My dad used to say, there's two ways to learn. You can learn from doing it the wrong way, or you can learn from others that did it the wrong way. I've done it the wrong way. So I want to tell you I've done it the wrong way. I want to tell you that you should do it the right way. I want to tell you that revivals are good. I don't think you plan them. I don't think you tell God when people are going to get saved. I don't think you tell God when your church is going to uh, catch fire and take off, but I don't think there's anything wrong with setting your sails and praying that the Holy Spirit blow in them. So that's what I'm praying that you do. When I look ahead at my calendar, I'm praying that the Lord would send me to a church that's seeking a pastor. 
that I could go there and be their interim and help get some things established and work out some issues so that when they do get in position to hire a man, that that man comes in and finds a, a church that's functioning properly. That's what I do. I do interim work right now. I'm in between churches that I just finished a work about three and four months ago. I'm looking for that next work, but the Lord has chosen to use me in a different manner in this in-between time. So in a couple of weeks, I'll be in Nashville, Arkansas, at Maranatha Baptist church preaching for Bruce short. Bruce and I talked just the other day and he said, look, I, the church is in really good shape. We've came a long ways, but we're not where we need to be yet. This is from a guy that's been there over 30 years. You know what he's saying? We need a revival. I agree. So I'm hoping on that Sunday morning, January 15th, when I'm there, that I can preach a message and the Lord would use it and, and would work in the hearts of the people to stir them to keep going, keep pressing forward. On the 22nd through the 26th, Bloomer Baptist Church in Bloomer, Arkansas, is having a get, brace yourself, grab a hold of the seat. You're, you're not going to believe your ears. They're having a revival. And you know what they're hoping for? They're hoping to reach all the people in and around Bloomer, Arkansas. I, this is going to sound crazy. It's going to be weird. You're not going to believe this. They're actually going to try to go door to door and put door hangers out, inviting all the homes in their area to come out during a time that they've set aside to preach evangelistic messages and refocus themselves on seeking the Lord. I'll have the privilege of preaching there Monday and Tuesday night, the 23rd and the 24th. And I, brace yourself, evangelist Randy Bain from North Carolina will be in on the 25th and 26th. Friend, we've got to get back to doing it. I'm not saying it's the only way God saves people. I'm not saying it's the only way that God um, turns a church around or revives it or lifts it up or builds it back up. But I'm saying this, if you're not doing anything and you're not concerned about it and you have no interest in it, don't expect God to do anything where you're at. That same week, Plummerville Baptist Church, First Baptist Plummerville, Pastor Wes Brown is holding a Friday night and Saturday conference. And the focus is on the last verse, great is thy faithfulness. And it's called the great is thy faithfulness. And this, this Friday night, Saturday meeting is geared to encourage and build up his congregation. And I'm glad to have a part in that meeting. And friend, I've been praying for Maranatha, Bloomer, and Plummerville. And, and for the last couple of months, every time I pray, I try to include these churches in that plan, in that cycle, in that, that the Lord would prepare me because I have a part in these services and that he would prepare the church and that he would speak to me and prepare me and give me a message that would meet the needs of these people and that the Holy Spirit would use it to accomplish his purpose. And then at the end of the month, I'll be at Barrel Baptist Church in Valonia, the 29th. Here's what I'm praying there. That's an ordination service. We're uh, Barrel Baptist Church. Pastor Wade Lentz is ordaining a couple other elders. They've been doing the work of elders. They're just simply being ordained into that ministry now. And here's my prayer for them. I'm praying that 
the institution and ordination of these elders would be an agent to bring revival into Barrel Baptist Church in Bologna. Friend, our churches need a revival, not of doctrine, not of ecclesiology. We need a revival of evangelism. We need a revival where the people in the pew realize the seriousness and the responsibility that they have to evangelize their neighbors. We need to get over the fact that people have told us no, they're not interested. We need to get, we need to accept that people are not going to be interested in the gospel unless the Holy Spirit opens their eyes. And we need to take serious our responsibility to share the gospel with every creature and let God handle the results. That's what we pray happens during a revival. And if the Lord chooses to save souls during those meetings, we rejoice. If he just simply reignites the fire in the church, we rejoice. But here's what we, here's what we do. We pray that God would do it. And we pray that he would get all the glory from it. And friend, would you join me over the next month, January, Pray for Maranatha Baptist Church in Nashville. Pray for First Baptist Church of Bloomer, First Baptist Church of Plummerville, and Barrel Baptist Church in Valonia. Pray for these meetings. I'll be preaching there. Other preachers will be preaching in some of these. But I'm praying for revival to happen. I'm praying that the Lord would use me to do the work of an evangelist. I'm praying that as an outside preacher, not a member of these congregations, that God would use me and, and that I wouldn't say anything that would be contrary to the word of God, anything that would upset the ministry of these existing pastors, that I would simply be an agent that God uses to come in and to work alongside these men to encourage these congregations and allow the Spirit of God to take a set-aside time in which the congregation can refocus their hearts on the Lord and seek Him. That's what I'm praying. I pray you join me in that prayer. If you'd like to reach out to me in any way, you can reach me at pastorherald at att.net, pastorherald at att.net. I would be glad to speak with you. I'd be glad to hear from you. If you have questions, comments, I'd love to hear them. You got a topic, a great idea, you got something that needs to be said, send it to me. If you don't want to send me an email, sometimes you can catch me on Twitter, the Backwoods Baptist, Harold Smith. Till then, we'll see you on the next broadcast.